0: You know, I just want to encourage our pastors, you said yes to ministry for a reason. You wanted to love people and you wanted to preach passionate messages and you wanted to walk more intimately with the Lord and lead others into that. Don't lose that perspective.
1: Well, today we have a very special guest and Lyle Wells is joining us. And Lyle, you have done absolutely incredible work with our team, shared such amazing wisdom. Um, And so when we talked about just getting your voice involved into Healthy Pastor Co., the community, and to this podcast, it was a no-brainer. The wisdom that you have and the background that you have, I was looking it up and I was like, oh my goodness, Lyle has done so much it's you, you served you're serving as a senior pastor right now your church planter executive senior pastor at one of the largest churches back in the day and the president of Integris leadership and a published author and, and so you have a lot of experience and it's an honor
2: and teacher yeah. and author this, this man is his resume so long you wonder is he really a hidden you know elf from the north pole who's tall Who's been around for 200 years? Because Lyle, I I, got to jump in, Art. And I'm so sorry. I'm just so excited about this podcast because this man of God has helped our family, our team so much. And Integris Leadership is a group that he oversees, he's the president of it. And they help churches all over the United States. And we have the man, the leader of the entire Integris group today and And, Lyle, we're just honored that you would come on and pour into these many, many pastors that we address on these podcasts. And so thank you for being on the program.
0: well, y- you know you heard experience the the guys on the podcast might have heard can't keep a job. I mean, they, you know when you started listening it off Arden, and i'm like i uh, i I've changed a lot of jobs. maybe that's the problem, so
1: it's it's all pr- perspective. But <laughs> yeah.
2: truly every single job prepared you for the next yeah. because many yeah, absolutely. times when You're ministering to our team or to our partners, you bring up incidences that happened when you were a basketball coach, when you were a teacher and you know these these things help all of us so much in leading our teams. And yeah. so I'm going to jump in. You uh, let, let me ask you a quick question. How many churches do you think that you have gone to and either uh, or pastors, it's an unfair question because I know we met you when you spoke to a massive gathering. Lisa was one of the speakers, you were one of the communicators and there were many, many pastors there. But how many churches have you gone to and you've worked with their staff, their teams? What's a good rough estimate over the years?
0: well our our goal over the last 3 years was to feed 5000 pastors one to one so um that you know that's a lot of very intentional walking with people helping them uh navigate whatever their specific challenges are but Over the last 18 years, John, um, it's been thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of pastors and hundreds of churches worldwide now. So we're having a lot of fun with church planners in Africa, Europe, uh, Asia. And, um, you know, what's amazing is some of the people challenges don't change. They speak a different language. They drive another side of the road. But some of those people challenges are still exactly the same. So let me ask,
2: what are some of the major common challenges you find pastors facing, and what is your counsel to them on these challenges?
0: I think the biggest one is still uh, pastors who are trying to do it in their own strength and in their own wisdom. Uh, John, you know that, and I mean, uh, I tell people, and I told you, you're the most biblically literate man that I know walking the planet right now, but... Um, You know, it can be really tempting when you step into ministry and you start hearing about strategic planning and you start reading all the leadership books and the podcasts that are available to start thinking, hey, I've got a lot of tools and I've got to use them all. The greatest tool we have is prayer. Um, I think every pastor on the planet needs to start their morning and end their day with, Lord, direct my steps. This is your bride. And I am just called to steward it. Um, but trying to do it in your own strength and wisdom. Um, and and the cousin of that is seeing somebody else's success and trying to copy it. You know, I mean, Arden looks great, but if I put on a black t-shirt, a denim jacket, and a ball cap, people would think I was homeless. You know, so I'm not made to look like that good looking young guy, but uh, I, you know, I'm called, um, with my own unique giftings and 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 passions and constraints. So are you, John, so are you, Arden, and so is everybody that's listening to us.
2: Okay, I, I, let's get back to you saying the most bitter, biblically literate. Um, I'm just going to say this. I, I love the Holy Spirit, and he is the greatest teacher in the universe. And anything we have, he's given to us. So I, Amen. I don't know if that's quite an accurate report or a dear friend report, but... Let's 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 move on from there. I'm very interested in asking you what are the common uh yeah. the Yes. Can I,
1: can I ask a question? Because I see you're you're trying to formulate a question really fast. Because I think this is going off of both what you guys had just said, is John talking about the Holy Spirit, but Lyle, you understanding the key thing for pastors is starting your day off in prayer and finishing it with prayer. Like I love it because you are very much a lot of the conversations I've had with you is about systems, getting people into the right places and things like that. But I love that you have kept that a focus in terms of. You understand the importance of systems, but you have not neglected the relationship with God. And I think a lot of times we've even heard statistics saying that 72% of the only time that pastors are getting in the word or with God is their message
2: preparation. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, that's actually my question I was going to ask Arden. So I was going to ask, what's the greatest obstacles that these pastors face that keep them from spending time with God personally? I
0: mean, I I think it's the demands of the job. And, um, you know, there is a perspective that uh, if you are the pastor, then you belong to the congregation. You know, I mean, uh, they pay your salary. Uh, You know, I, I, I love it when somebody talks about, how they tithe and they had, should have a voice. And I always go back and say, well, wait a minute, if, if you truly understand tithing, then you know that's not your money, right? And so you're not paying my salary, God is. Uh, and let's get some perspective there. But, you know, we get into this unhealthy, um, we feel like we have to be at everything. We don't set really good boundaries, we don't develop or delegate to the people around us. I mean, I mean, there's just a, a a whole bunch of factors that combine into these pastors feeling overwhelmed, um, and, and really underfed. And so that's why time alone with the Lord is so, so crucial. Um, I think Martin Luther, they said, you know, uh, do you really pray four times, uh, or four hours a day? And he said, I couldn't get anything done if I didn't. And I just, you know, so I think, John, that's the first one, is just this, I'm going to be all things to all people, and I can say yes to everything. And the things that, it's usually the most important things, prayer, time with your family, that, that end up being moved aside at the expense of ministry. And that's why we see such a high degree of burnout and such a high degree of pastors who aren't really engaged in what they're doing anymore.
2: So I want to I want to put a pin in something you said, because I feel like it really needs to be emphasized. Tithes are God's money. And I'm going to draw my 35 years of travel experience. Back in the late 90s, I was at a very good church, a um, young progressive pastor. Actually, this man is overseeing a network of thousands of pastors today. I will never forget what he, he did. He said, John, I got to the point where I felt like the people in our church, and it was a big church, he said, had sticky hands. In other words, they felt because they were tithing so significantly, they could just speak into how we were running things on our staff, on the church, rather than just leaving that with me, my leadership team, and the board that oversees me. He said, so what I did is this back in the days where you couldn't give you know, by texting, you couldn't do all the stuff we can do today. Everything was checks and cash back in those days. And what he did is he told his ushers, he said, um, you're going to collect the offering like you always do. They came in with the buckets. They carried the buckets back to the back. But they always prayed over the offering. The ushers would bring, once they were back in the back, they would bring it back up to the front. So that day he told them, I want you to swap out. And I've got a bunch of Monopoly money and I've got a bunch of uh, empty envelopes that are all marked up. Bring those up when you bring everything up. And what he did is he had a big Weber grill and he put all of them in the Weber grill. He said, folks, this morning I decided we're going to do a burnt offering. And he started pouring, you know, the lighter fluid and he, he took a match and lit it and the thing just went up, right? And he looked at his church after it was half burned and he said, if you have a problem with this, it means you're not really giving to God. You have strings attached to your gifts. Now, that's really important. Because people feel like now I can step into a position of authority because of the money I give, and I would say that this just needs to be taught to our congregations, and 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 so that would relieve if 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 a pastor of a you know let's say a 300 member church really gets that to his people, now he's freed up his time from the guilty feels that's being put on him. To be able to say, hey, Big Rock is my time with God in the morning. Big Rock is my time with my family. Then we're going to fit all the other things in there because what good are you as a leader if you're not taking care of your household and you're not keeping your relationship up with God? You now have a club. You don't have a church any longer. You have a club. Yes. Yes, sir. And just as you said, that feeds into then now doing things in my own ability. So, I, I just felt like we had to drive a stake in the ground on that one because, quite honestly, I agree with you. In my travels, I have seen this as the biggest obstacle. And usually, what happens is this is what I hear at lunch, this is what I hear at dinner I'm tired. Yeah. There's a reason you're tired. You know, the Bible says that when we pray in the spirit, it actually is rest from the Lord. Yeah. So why is it we've got these people who work, work really hard, but they got a ton of energy. And why do you have people that work really hard and have no energy? I think yeah. it's their prayer life.
0: Well, you, you know, John, the, the, this is my second turn at being a senior pastor. You know, I planted uh, with a team back in Florida years ago and now um, leading a church here in Texas. I've made it my, this is fully my decision. I have no idea what anybody in our church gives except for my wife and I. Um, I, I, I don't want to pollute my heart. I don't want a guy to come up and have an opinion and that opinion be weighted because I happen to know he's one of my 10 biggest giveters. And I know a lot of other people look at it differently, and I'm great with that. This is to protect my heart. But I have no idea if you're, you know, if you're tithing, you know, massively, or you've never written a check to the church. Now, the, the the two words that are really critical, John, to this concept that you're talking about is who gets a vote and who gets a voice. Because we're talking to pastors with all sorts of denominations, and some of them are congregational, where everybody gets a vote. And some of them, you know, nobody really gets a vote or gets a voice. And But for me, I think it's really important as a leader That you set those boundary lines of, hey, who gets a voice into this decision and and who actually gets a vote? Because I may go get a lot of voices, but at the end of the day, you know, our leadership team is going to decide what we're going to do here. Um, And that distinction has really helped me. But um, there are so many struggling, the, the exhausted pastors that I know. They feel like everybody gets a vote, and everybody gets a voice. And so they're chasing their tail, trying to please everybody. Yeah. And that's never going to happen. So that's let good. me
2: ask you this. um, do you think it's healthy for a pastor to say, "Hey, I want to give everybody a voice, but that doesn't mean you've got to vote. We're going to listen to what you say, but it doesn't mean we're going to decide as a leadership team. We're going to that we're going to do it. Or do you think that's dangerous? i I'm actually curious of how your answer would be on that one.
0: I'm a big fan of transparency. Um, you know, we say clarity is a leader's best friend. And so, you know, I think it's healthy to say, listen, your opinion matters. If you want to stop me between services, if you want to schedule a time and visit with me, I want to hear your heart. But, the, you know, the bylaws of this church have set up, whether they're elders or deacons or, you know, a presbytery, whatever, that's going to make this certain decision. Um, you know, and so, I mean, you know, we're going through a building project and I mean, I don't know which end of the hammer to hold. So, you know, I've, I've brought in a group of highly trained, you know, you know, very seasoned construction, HVAC, electricians, guys in my church that know what a set of blueprints look like, that know what a healthy bid is that when I, when we're talking to construction guys, they're asking questions. I mean, it might as well be Hebrew and Greek to me. But I trust them. And at the end of the day, they're gonna have a vote and a voice into the way we move forward. But I've communicated that to our whole body that, you know, these guys have been appointed for this season, for this time, for this project. Doesn't mean they get to determine what the next sermon series is.
2: You know, I'm I'm going through the same situation. You know, we're moving into a building here in the Nashville area. I have very little knowledge of what's going on. Our teams are meeting with some of the best consultant teams on setting up studios, setting up offices. And to be honest with you, I I don't want to be really involved. I mean, they know, I said excellence, but would you say that pastors are just involved in too much sometimes and that hinders actually them from really, really ministering to their people?
0: john you, you know the way we train pastors in the west is so unique we you know we we train them theologically which is critical but you know i would say 80 percent of what a pastor needs to know about leading an organization um they're not taught that in seminary and un, unless they were astute um and really forward thinking to go get maybe an you know a business degree as an undergraduate you know, all of a sudden, you've got a pastor that's leading five thousand people, a multi-million-dollar organization that they're essentially the CEO of, and they don't understand HR practices. They don't understand law. They don't understand payroll and finance. They don't understand any of that. Yeah. Um, I don't understand a lot of that. But I mean that you know, it, in in integrus if people ask me, you know, on an airplane ride, what do you do? My one sentence is. Um, we help pastors with all the things they didn't learn in seminary. And if you say that to a pastor, they go, and that's a lot. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's a massive job. It's um, it, it can become all consuming. And that's why it's so important to empower those people around you who are subject matter experts to develop the relational trust with those people so that you can give it to them like you have with your team and go, I don't really need to know. I'm good. I've said excellence. If John Bevere would work there, you know what that looks like. Go ahead and do it.
2: You know, I'll never forget when I went through the transition. It was back in the early 1990s and I think 94, 95. And we basically had two employees at that time and they did a lot of the grunt work, but I kept my hands in everything. Yeah. And there was a wise businessman and I I, I'm business minded, but I wasn't then. Yeah. And I realized that my engineering degree and my one year of Bible school didn't give me what I needed. And there was a businessman, he had me out in the golf course and I'll never forget. He said, the the reason Messenger's not growing, the reason you feel overwhelmed right now is because you have your hand in everything. And my reply was, well, I can do it. I can do it faster than if i teach somebody to do it and he said and then you're going to continue to have to do it and continue he said you've got to realize that when you invest time in training somebody you're taking absolutely something off your plate in the future and i'll never forget this as long as i live he said you know he said this is what you got to do he reached out held his driver in his fist, like that, and let it go. And I can, to this day, I can see where I was, the T box, and I watched that f- driver fall to the ground. And it m- became clear to me I had to let go. Mm-hmm. And I believe what our job as leaders is we communicate cultural values and vision. That is one thing my team will hear me stress over and over. Our five pillars at Messenger are purity, power, excellence, integrity, and honor. That will be stressed. Now, I don't even have to say that as much anymore because Addison's doing it. Our directors are doing it, and it filters right down. I remember setting the course on Messenger Cup. I was so involved on the first one, but I I, I hardly do anything with Messenger Cup. What I've seen with pastors is they have their hands involved in everything and they don't drop that driver. Would you agree with that?
0: Well, I mean, John, the statistics point that out, right, Arden? I mean, there are roughly 400,000 churches in America. Half of them have 200 or fewer people. And, you know, as a, as a behavioralist who understands um, sociology, I know that a human being can carry about. 200 relationships. They can maintain roughly 200 relationships. So you put those two together and you see, we have 50% of our pastors that won't let go, that think that they have to be the one to make every decision. They have to be the one to do the hospital visits. They have to, I mean, my greatest joy is when I come around a corner on a Sunday morning and see somebody in my staff praying deeply with somebody after a service. And I'm like, Fantastic. My ministry team is doing ministry. I don't have to always be the go to. I'm not hurt or wounded by that. I want to multiply and pour into others who can pour into others who can pour into others. But, John, it's threatening, right? I mean, it, it can be a little bit threatening when you let some things go. And, you know, a young leader like Arden, he's version 1.0 on a lot of things still. He's going to be amazing. He's already so incredibly talented at so many different things. But, you know, we have a saying both in my church and at Integris, hey, mistakes are tuition. The first time you make a mistake, it's tuition. And I don't mind paying it. Now, I don't pay for tuition twice. So when my kids were in college, if they passed the class, I paid for it. If they failed it, they paid for it uh, the second time. But, I mean... Hire high character people, coach them up, and let them go. They may not do it exactly the way perfectionist, high criticality engineer John Bevere did it, but a lot of great work's getting done, and that's the goal.
1: Well, I love what you just said, and I think that's such a key thing: is understanding that there's probably a lot of people and pastors listening to this that have been trying to break that barrier of of two hundred, and it's simply it's not because they're they're not healthy; it's not because they're They're, you know, not preaching amazing. It's it's, there's not like a lot of reasons that people look at. It's because they simply have not let go and brought more people underneath them. And I think that is a powerful revelation because as you do let go, it gives you more time to pour into the areas that you might feel like are lacking, pour more into your family, pour more into your spiritual time, um, that time that you get with God. So I think that is, a. I mean, if you take anything away, that's key. I think what I would say is if I'm a pastor right now, um, how do I find those people? Like, how do I, how do I identify them? What systems do I put into place to be able to create that space for people to start taking ownership within my church?
0: Well, Arden, you've heard me say that, you know, my, my process statement for my own life and for my team and my church is I want to do hard things with people I really care about and I want to have fun doing it, so I look for those people. I look for people who aren't afraid to do hard things, people I could really, really enjoy hanging out with and and you know, um people that 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 can have fun doing it um I, let me let me take a quick side road. There is power in a narrative. There is absolutely power in a narrative. Um we're going through a little cold snap in Texas. And for those of us that are thin-blooded, that are used to 100 days of 100 degrees, when it's 34 degrees outside, we're like, this is miserable, we're freezing. But I I have a young intern that was working with me. He loves the cold weather. And every day this week, when we've gotten into the car to go to work together, um, he's like, man, I love the cold. I just love the cold. And you know what? I kind of like the cold. I got a flannel on today. I'm like, you know what? This is kind of nice. There's power in a narrative. And there are so many pastors that you meet and that I meet that are like, it's so hard. This season is so hard. I'm so tired. These people are so difficult. Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely the truth. Ministry is hard. Work is hard. But when you work and you have a spiritual enemy, it's going to be really hard. But there's power in a narrative. So find people that like challenges. And you know, Arden, to your question, I recruit them. I actively recruit them. If I see a young couple in my church who I'm like, I could hang out with them. I, I think they've done hard things. I, I take them to lunch and I'm like, I'm just here to tell you, I I think there is something magical you could do for our team. I think there's ministry in our church. I think there's, I mean, I grabbed a guy, you know, and I just said, I want you to go lead men 55 and over. I think you're doing it well. You're leaving a legacy. If I invited men to come and sit with you, would you do it? And I think a lot of times people are just waiting to be asked and, you know, um, so I actively recruit and I'm not ashamed. And, you know, I buy a lot of gift cards. I send a lot of women to the spa. Anything I can do to get them on board with what we're doing,
2: you you talk about powering a narrative, We just had an example of that last night with my grandson. He's fourteen years old trying to get it find his way on the pickleball court. So Addison, his father, who, you know, is Arden's oldest brother, and uh, says, "Hey, let's play tonight. Arden and Christian can't play. Can you find one of the men in the league in the neighborhood? So I found one. And I remember that man and I partnered up against Addison and 14-year-old Asher, and I think we beat him the first two games uh, 11-3, to to 11-3. So I finally said, Asher, why don't you come out over here? You're going to play with me. So he comes over, and the first thing he says is, you really don't want to be on my team. And I I, I stopped him. I looked right in his face, and I said, look, I want a positive look. I want a positive outlook. And I said, if you miss a shot— I do not want to hear I'm sorry. I said, I want you to own every shot. You're good. And I want you to play your best. And we're going to do really good. Well, I continued. That first game we played, we we lost 11 to 4. Then it went to 11 to 6. I kept correcting him saying, hey, face up or chin up. And I want to smile on your face. No apologies. Kept doing it. Well, the second to last game we lost 11 to nine and the final game we won 12 to 10. My comment to Asher is this, Asher, did you notice how much better you played when your whole attitude narrative changed? Of course, he's going to say, yes, I did play better. But here's what I'm going to say is more important. Did you notice how much better I played when your attitude went positive? Wow. And that's a leader. A yeah. leader sets the atmosphere and the people enter into that. So if you're, le- so this is what's so amazing to me. If you are a stronger spirit, you know, I look at that scripture that John grew strong in spirit. Okay. Mm. If you're a stronger spirit, then the pastor, if you've got somebody on your team, that's a stronger spirit than you in the negative. They're going to dominate the atmosphere, and you're going to have a hard atmosphere. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's think about it. Elijah controlled the narrative and the atmosphere with 850 false prophets, a king, and an entire nation. That's how strong his spirit was. But he met up with a woman the next day who had a stronger spirit than him, and her name was Jezebel. She was stronger in negative and witchcraft and evil than Elijah was and he ran for his life and sat down depressed. I find a lot of pastors are depressed. They're confused. They've lost vision. Why? Because they haven't developed their spirit, which goes right back to where you started with. It's their time with God.
0: John, um, every year uh, at both Integris and at my church, uh, I start the first staff meeting every year. Um, I used to use a video with Kristen Chenoweth and a girl named Sarah uh, from the Hollywood Bowl. You can find it on YouTube. This past year, um, there was a Foo Fighters concert, and Arden, I don't even know who the Foo Fighters are, Um, and I know they're a secular group, but they're having a concert, and they ask an entire section of the audience, does anybody wanna come sing a song with us? And nobody says yes. And this little 10-year-old boy named Collier says, I wanna play the guitar. So they bring him on stage. He's 10 years old, thousands of people. And they ask him, they said, do you wanna play a song? And, they, and he's like, yeah. And they're like, uh, what songs do you know? And the kid says, I know a lot of Metallica songs. And now I know our really conservative pastors listening to this are freaking out. But this little 10 year old boy plays this Metallica song um, and it's, it's amazing. And, you know, uh, so I play that for our team and and I tell them two things. I said, number one, there were naysayers in that arena. I promise you, why is a 10 year old kid at a concert? There are people smoking and drinking here. Uh, Why is that kid know a Metallica song? That's secular, that's... What they didn't see was a confident, skilled kid that said yes, you know? And I said, hey, we're gonna have our naysayers, but we said yes. When God called us to this church for this season, when God called you to Integris, we said, yes, we're not the victims here. We raised our hands like Collier, went on the stage, and now we have a choice. Do we take whatever skills God has given us and do we play a song that inspires millions or do we shrink from that moment? So, I mean, if you you heard an Integris teammate having a hard day, we always reframe it, John, with like, hey- But I said, yes, I said, yes. So, you know, I just wanna encourage our pastors. You said yes to ministry for a reason. You wanted to love people and you wanted to preach passionate messages and you wanted to walk more intimately with the Lord and lead others into that. Don't lose that perspective. Don't let numbers, don't let one naysayer. Look, we've all had the meeting where somebody says, I'm not here to attack you. And for the next two hours, they do right, you're not alone, we, but, but you said yes because God put a perspective and a purpose on you and I want you to pursue it, that's, that's, we're not victims here, that's what we need to embrace.
2: Okay, Lyle, you are a leader of leaders. You inspire me, I get around you, I'm just going like this inside right now, okay? You, I'm gonna ask two questions for, because I want, I want to mine these, these beautiful gold nuggets out of you. I, I have never seen you discouraged. Never, never. You, you are, I mean, I don't care what the situation, you are always looking at things from the positive side. And I think of God saying to Joshua seven times through either the people, Moses or God himself, be strong and of good courage. The opposite of courage is discourage, okay? You are always of courage, you are always so positive. Number one, how do you keep yourself in that state? Number two, how what are some of your keys that you do to infect the people that you're leading? Because you do, you infect, you infect our whole team with positive belief, with, 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 with excitement, with 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 let's go get them. Let's go jump. Let, let's go, let's go run through that wall. Let's do it. I mean, Lyle, i watched you with our team. You could get them all to say, okay, we're going to go run through that, that wall right now in this boardroom. What are some of the keys? Help these leaders out here right now. Number one, how to keep themselves encouraged. Number two, how to encourage their people.
0: Yeah, John, I think it's it's two. you know, it, it comes back to perspective and, and it's something you work on. I have my moments like everybody does. Um, it goes back time with the Lord. I, you know, Psalm 20, Psalm 62, like I have my go-to places where I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I, I need to hear these words louder than I've ever heard them before. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the things is we don't focus on the things that we can't control. I mean, that's a rule in my house. It's a rule in my company. It's a rule in our church. If we can't control it, we don't talk about it. So, I can't control that group complaining about me in the parking lot. I can't control what this lady posted on social media. So, guess what? It doesn't get my attention. Um, You know, uh, in Revelation 3, um, to the church in Philadelphia, you know, the Lord says, I have placed before you a door that no one can shut. And that's the way I feel nobody can shut my door, only God. So, you want to be as negative as you want. You can't shut my door. And that's one of the ways that I that I say positive. But, but the other thing, John, is this. We learn this with our children, raising them. If everything goes according to plan, you don't have a great story. Uh, you know, you go on vacation and the plane leaves on time. The weather's perfect and you don't lose your bags and you get back. That's a great vacation. That's a terrible story. Don't come back home and tell us that story but you know, you go to Cabo and it rains for five days and now there's a hurricane and you got to share a hotel room with somebody you've never met. Um, now all of a sudden we got us a little bit of a story. And so we, we've always kind of lived that mantra that if things don't go according to plan, hey, listen, this is God's writing a great story. And we know the end of that story. We We know that there's victory waiting for all of us. And so uh, I wanna run a courageous story. Um, You've heard me tell the story about uh, chariots of fire where Eric Little is knocked down and he gets up and finishes the race and his coach says, not the prettiest race I've ever seen you run, but certainly the most courageous. My goal when I stand before the Lord is, hey, it may not be the prettiest life or ministry, but I want it to be one of the most courageous. So don't focus on things you can't control. I can't control the offering. I can't control their response to the message. I can control the preparation for the message. I can control my heart when I deliver it. Um, And then just think about—it's a great story. I mean, this is your marriage to Lisa. I mean, I mean, you have a great—you two have so many great stories because there were a lot of your life that didn't go exactly according to plan. So that's the beautiful part of it. This is ministry. It's a great adventure. I mean, if if you want it predictable, be an accountant. That world never changes. But you got into ministry. You said yes, pastors. So let's surround, let's come together and rally together and do this thing. One more drill down question
2: on this, and, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Arden. You got somebody on your team and they're just coming in and they suck the air right out of the room. They are just <laughs> negative. What's your strategy for getting that? changed in them. What, what what are some of the practical things? You may not have one. You may say it's different with every person. But I just can hear these pastors thinking out loud right now. They're like, what do I do with these people that are so negative?
0: John, I you know, so there are five universal needs. People need security, community, clarity, authority and dignity. And so when somebody is behaving inappropriately, it's because one of those five needs aren't being met because when my needs aren't being met, it produces fear and fear drives inappropriate behavior. So I always start with, all right, are they unsafe? Are they not connected? Do they not have clarity about their role? Do they think they have a vote and they really don't? Um, do, they, do they never really had true biblical authority uh, or is there a dignity issue? And I, it starts with listening to their story I think it starts with clarity uh about the situation the unique challenge in ministry is so many times pastors are dealing with a church that there's only one narrative out there there's the negative narrative that somebody is and you can't go out there and address it and attack them and so what you, what you can address is the transparency of how you how you communicate with people the integrity of the work that you do and Communicate your rationale for why you're doing things the way that you're doing them, and you can't address particular individuals. But I think the meta narrative is important, and I think fitting with the individual and thinking about those five universal needs is really important because it's one of those needs that's got them talking.
2: That's so good. One more time, the five universal needs. I want because I know pastors are taking note.
0: Yeah, security. Yep. And that's not just physical, that's also social and emotional. Community, pastors know this, everybody's going to be part of a community. And if they can't be part of a good community, they'll be part of a bad community because it's better than no community at all. And by the way, if you think your church is the only church that has a fellowship of the miserable, you're badly mistaken. There is a chapter on every church campus around the world. Uh, clarity is number three authority number four and dignity number five.
2: So good. Absolutely.
1: So good. Well, I love that you talk so much about pouring into other people and and how that directly affects you. I want to just ask one more practical question. Um, Are there practical like routines or common behaviors that you do um, every single day that helps set you up? uh, for the best possible day and and best possible mental state to, to go about your business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a daily five, uh, and I, I teach every leader that I work with to do the same. Number one for me is abide. I'm going to be with the Lord. Um, I, uh, I start my morning with an early morning walk. Um, that's kind of my attitude and gratitude time with the Lord just to get my mind right and be thanking him. Then I come in and have my quiet time. Um, but It always starts with abide. Number two is love. Um, uh, My goal is that my wife experiences two of the five love languages every day from me. It may be different. She may get gifts and words one day. She may get my full attention and an act of service. But I just want to love my wife well. I, I heard John say this. He wants Lisa to be more in love with him the day he leaves this earth than the day they met. Man, that's a worthy goal. That's just a worthy goal. So abide, love each of my children. I try to express one of the love languages every day. And then my Peter, James and John at Integris and at my church, the same thing. So the people on my inner circle are gonna know that I care deeply for them somehow, some way. So abide, love. The third thing I'm gonna do is sweat. I think we were made to move. And uh, Arden, I'm not the athlete, you are. Um, few people are the athlete that you are, uh, but I'm going to sweat. I'm going to move my body somehow some way. Uh, and sometimes that might be yard work, sometimes that's a run, sometimes I'm going to the gym. But um, that physical expression I mean, when you look at the health benefits, the mental health benefits, the spiritual benefit, it's just so critical. Um, the fourth thing I'm going to do is I'm going to um, I'm going to teach. I've been wired to teach. Um, that's how God's uniquely gifted me. So whether I write that day, whether I stand in front of a room, whether I participate on a podcast, um, I want to teach every single day. And the last thing is advance. Um, I'm, you know, I'm wired to be a catalyst. I'm not a great visionary, but I can move things from where they are to where to a, a closer place to where I want them to be. So I always have an advanced goal whether that's a relationship, an account, a process. I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, and I'm doing something fun. Uh, I, I was with John about a month ago and John talked about courage and the opposite of courage is not fear, it's discouragement. John, that had such a profound effect on me. And so my advanced goal every day is I do one courageous thing. Um, I might call somebody who I know is angry at me. I might apologize for something from the stage that um, most pastors wouldn't. I I might um, give some feedback. I did that this morning. I gave a team member a little feedback um, that I was reticent to give because I know it wasn't going to be received well, um, at least initially. But I'm I'm just every day I'm going to do the courageous thing, uh, and I think you know that's how you form those habits. So those are my five. Have a daily five. Uh, those routines every single day. We call them ridiculous routines.
1: I think we could go for a whole another podcast episode <laughs> just asking <laughs> questions around that.
2: So you, you need to, I, I, Lyle. You know you're going to be a regular. You're going to help so many pastors through this healthy pastors community that we have, and I'm so excited about it.
1: Well, and I want to I want to emphasize too for pastors listening is that Lyle has established an entire organization um, with integrus leadership that is specifically there to help pastors. It's uh, combined with the Flip flipping group. And so if you guys are interested more in that, I encourage you to look up Lyle. Um, You'll see resources from him, like the five-day leader and other things. And of course, we will
2: have Lyle on many, many more times. Uh, Joy, But Dan, anything else? So they can immediately jump in right now by going to Messenger X and watching Lyle's courses. Gosh, Lyle, I... I, I can't thank you enough. This has been invaluable. I'm I'm renewed. I'm I'm fired up. I'm ready to go as always. After listening to you, thank you for being a friend and a partner at Messenger International. With and we're a partner with you. We just love it. And we're
0: honored, guys. It's my pleasure. Um, it's humbling uh, to get to serve the pastors that you know the network that you two have created, and uh, I just want those those leaders to know that we're here for you. If there's anything we can do to support you, serve you, encourage you, our heart is your success. So thank, thanks to them and thanks to you too for putting us all together.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Pastor Podcast. If you're looking for a community of pastors to grow alongside with, we encourage you to join our Healthy Pastor community. You can apply by going to healthypastor.co. Before you go, make sure you subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you love to listen. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Healthy Pastor Podcast.